you have your Bibles, let me ask you to join with me in turning to Romans chapter 15. And when you find it, please stand if you're able. And let's hear the Lord speak to us in His Word. I want to read to you Romans chapter 15, verse 1, down through verse 13. And I ask that you remain standing so that we may worship the Lord in song for hearing from Him this morning. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision or to the Jews on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises that were given to the Jewish fathers. And Christ has become a servant for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it stands written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles and in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, I finished Romans 15 last week, but I wasn't ready to be finished with it. Uh, apparently, uh, Sarah uh, subscribes to Table Talk, which I highly recommend, by the way, from Ligonier Ministries. If you don't have some source of devotional material, Table Talk is, is absolutely excellent. But it was on Christian Liberties this month and a lot about Romans 14 and 15. So after devouring that for about three times, I was like, you know, I think I'll go back and, and revisit some things because we desperately need to get this. I want us to get this. I don't want us to hear this and then set it aside and forget about it. Uh, this is just absolutely necessary for the growth and maturity of the body. So there are some things that I wanted to revisit. But then again, also on Wednesdays, I've tried to been encouraging the teachers to point to the redemptive flow. Don't just do the Bible stories, but take us all the way back and draw the line from Genesis to Revelation. So these kids will understand all of this is connected. And all of it points to Christ. And so this morning I wanted to draw the, the redemptive flow from Genesis 
all the way to Romans 15 so we can see the glory of Christ and all that he has accomplished for us through the gospel. So once I set to that task, I was like, okay, I'm absolutely committed to where we're going to go. But I want to take you back to the state of man before the fall, especially the condition of his conscience before he disobeyed the Lord. Now, I know it is very difficult for us to comprehend what that would be like because of our sinful experience. But I will tell you, it'd be absolutely wonderful for us to consider his state and his conscience before the fall, because we will enjoy what Adam had to a much fuller experience when we arrive at glory. So we can look at some of these things and I think it would be great cause for our rejoicing this morning. Now, the first thing I want to look at was his mind, because Adam and Eve's mind was solely instructed by God. Their view of right and wrong was established by God and God alone. Their wisdom was derived from the word of God spoken to them by God himself. And listen to this. There was no outside voice other than God's. There was no other source of wisdom to be found anywhere other than the wisdom that God gave them. And that included within themselves. There was no voice speaking within themselves other than their conscience being clear, affirming the truths that God was giving them. So their mind was fully animated by the wisdom of God. When you think about their way, it was totally given over to the will of God. Everything that they did, their desires, their actions, their thoughts, all were perfectly aligned with the express will of God. And that was fulfilled or manifested as they walked in obedience to God. They were guided every day in every scenario by the wisdom of God and carried it out. That was their mind. That was their way. And now I want to reflect for just a minute on their conscience. Their conscience was functioning perfectly and it was always affirming their integrity before God. There were no painful memories or loads to bear whatsoever. Since they had never disobeyed God, they could not define for you shame or guilt. Now think about that. They had absolutely no concept of shame or guilt to bear. And we all know that the heaviest loads that any of us ever carry are those that are caused by our conscience from past experiences and past sins and things that we're ashamed of, we don't want to speak of. And when they come to mind, we bear those loads. They never picked one of those up before in their life. They had no concept of carrying emotional trauma around. Now, what they had is described for us in one verse. If you'll notice with me, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and it's summed up really in this way. We kind of snicker at this, but there's so much here. Genesis 2, verse 25 says, The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, they had no concept whatsoever of shame. They had nothing to hide. They had no concept within them that caused them to even consider there was something to hide. 
They were open and bare before all and before one another. They had nothing to hide outwardly, but think with me how incredible this thought is. They had nothing to hide inwardly. I can't imagine, and, and this is often expressed, how we would feel if our thoughts for the week were playing on a screen behind my head right now. The moment that you let me know that that was taking place would be the very moment that I would find the exit. Absolutely mortified and filled with shame about the things that you would see that I entertained within myself this week in my thoughts. They had no concept of that. And their nakedness before one another gives us a picture of not just physical nakedness, but an inward nakedness as well. There's nothing there. For Adam, for us to view his thoughts for the week before the fall, he would sit down and enjoy them with us and laugh as he began to describe. When the animal walked in front of me with a nose about 20 feet long, he's wider than he is tall, I thought to myself, what in the world would I name this? And we could laugh as the particular names ran across the screen if we could understand that language of what he considered to name the elephant, right? Everything would be fun. Everything would be humorous. Everything would be wise. Everything would be good. Everything would be pure. He had no concept whatsoever to hide anything. And therefore, he was naked and absolutely unashamed. And then I thought about this. What would it have been like to have no regrets, no disappointments, no painful reminders of the past, no persons, no places, no events, no experiences, no smells, no sounds, no songs to bring to mind shameful actions of the past. You do realize how our enemy works among us at times. Things like a smell or a song or a sound or words or a places can bring to mind things we participated in our past that we melt inwardly over and we're so filled with shame or guilt. Adam's like, I have none of that. There's nothing that brings anything to mind whatsoever. Now, when we talk about freedom, let me say it in Sand Mountain English. Y'all, that's freedom. We talk about freedom, but if you want to understand what freedom is, it is to be absolutely free of guilt and clear of conscience and nothing come to mind whatsoever that brings guilt and shame for you to carry. You think, how is this even possible for them? We have to understand this was the design of God. He gave them a mind that functioned wonderfully and perfectly and He informed that mind of all wisdom. They understood everything necessary for them to understand and to live and to glorify God. They were filled. If you could have anybody to ask a question about your situation or experiences in life, it would have been them before the fall. They understood. You said, well, don't we need experience of failure to have the wisdom to inform others? Absolutely not. You need the wisdom of God and that is all you need. And that's all they had. So their mind was filled with it and they were able to take that wisdom and apply it to life. And then the conscience that God gave them worked perfectly 
Because with everything that they did and said and thought, their conscience affirmed them as this is filled with integrity. This is purity. This is holiness. This is good. Do this. Walk in this. That was their conscience. Can you imagine having that kind of conscience? That's truth, brother. Run in it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it to its fullest. Of course, we know all that changed in one moment. And what caused the fall from all of this is described for us in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 3. So look with me there for just a moment. Notice we have someone else speaking right off the bat. The serpent said. All of a sudden we have a new voice. There's going to be someone else to speak into their lives other than God. Notice what he says. You surely will not die. Now, we do know on this side of Calvary, at least you don't even have to go that far, do you? That that was an absolute lie to what God had commanded them because their mind had the wisdom. They understood that there was one tree in the midst of the garden that they could not eat. They had that. They knew that. They had trusted in that before now. But now Satan challenges that and he says, no, you will not die. And so they had conflict within their mind, but they still had a conscience to guide them. Notice what he says in verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. How could they be more open than they are now? I understand everything perfectly from the wisdom of the Father. I know how to live in the context of the Garden of Eden. How can you say my eyes can be more open when I understand everything in my life perfectly? Notice what he says next. You will be like God. Could you please describe for me how I'm about to be more like God? Because I've been created in the image of God. I am governed and controlled by the wisdom of God, my conscience affirms my integrity before God, how is it that I could ever be made more like God? But yet Eve even considered this. He goes on to say, knowing good and evil, to which your response should have been, why would I ever want to know the opposite of good? Because it's good that causes me to enjoy freedom. And to be opposite of good is to be in bondage. Why would I ever want the knowledge of what is not good if good has brought me righteousness and peace and joy to the fullest measure? Yet she considered these things in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Where did she go with that? She took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So a new voice brought a new kind of wisdom, except it was a false wisdom. It was a lie. It was something entirely different. They had truth, like I said. They had the command from God. Truth was present in their minds, but they listened to another voice. Now their conscience continued to work according to the design of God. So when the wisdom of God was violated, when the command of God was broken, the conscience 
went to work and it brought condemnation. And you can see this in verse 7. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of them, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Now all of a sudden they have something to hide. They sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves loin coverings. Secondly, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife did something they had never done before. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Two new feelings. Two new loads to carry. The first one was shame. They saw one another in their nakedness and they were ashamed and wanted to hide themselves from one another. And so they sewed for themselves loincloths and covered themselves filled with shame for having seen one another or having been seen. Secondly, they were filled with guilt and they physically hid themselves from God. Their sinful actions led to overwhelming conviction that resulted in condemnation. Now they had a whole lot more to deal with. They had an unyielding enemy who would produce a line of enemies to follow, who would offer them or fill them as a source of lies and false wisdom for the rest of their lives. Their own voice of false wisdom, no longer motivated simply by the goodness of God, would be motivated by selfish, sinful desires and lusts. Now was the judgment of death that God had warned them of. Now they experienced division between themselves. And the worst thing is, the most significant thing is, now they were separated from God. Because God cast them out of the garden. And they did not enjoy the personal presence of God anymore. All of this, because they listened to a false wisdom and acted upon a different kind of wisdom, that which was not from God. And whatever is not from God is not good because everything that comes from God is good. You have to realize that Adam's actions caused the corruption of all of mankind. He's not merely an example that we follow in. Adam was the representative for all mankind. He stood in our place. And you can see that in the pages of Scripture in a number of places communicated to us. And it describes for us the state in which we are born. We don't enjoy Adam and Eve's original state. We in, endure their fallen state. David in Psalm 51 puts it this way. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity... And in sin, my mother conceived me. In other words, I was born into this fallen state. I was born into a corrupted world. I was born with a corrupted mind. I was born with a broken conscience. I even had broken desires and lusts within me that I acted upon and allowed to guide my life. Ephesians 2, Paul writes it this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. Listen to this. According to the course of this world, not according to God. According to the prince of the power of the air, not according to God. 
according to the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, not according to the Holy Spirit. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by birth or by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So as you move from Genesis 2 into Genesis 3, we understand what took place, but we also understand everything that it caused because the sphere in which Adam and Eve, that which they created, we now dwell. As I tell the kids on Thursday, that answers a whole lot of your questions of why. Why, why does mom and dad get a divorce? Why is there so much sorrow? Why do people kill each other? Why are people mean to each other? Why does everything hurt? I take them back to Genesis 3 and I tell them this answers all your questions. If you want to know why the world is so broken and so wicked and so evil and so violent, it's Genesis 3. And that's the world that we were born into. It is absolutely no freedom. If I take you back to Genesis 2 and remind you of all that they had and where I said, y'all, now that's freedom. When I bring you into the sphere in which you and I live and were born, y'all, there's no freedom. We are bound to sin. Absolutely bound to sin. We are bound to death. We are absolutely chained and shackled to death. And we are bound to the enemy, Satan. All of these things we are born into. We are literally born into slavery. And in slavery, there's absolutely no freedom. Don't fool yourself. Our minds are controlled even now by our lust and desires. They are filled with our own self-centered thinking. We are instructed by the false thinking of the world. Our lives produce death and corruption. We are unable to hear and heed the wisdom of God. In fact, we saw that in, in Romans chapter 8, where Paul says this, we do not subject ourselves to the law of God. We're not even able to do so. Paul says, we cannot, we cannot please God. And in regard to our conscience, we are born into shame and guilt. And the world's attempts to relieve that shame and guilt is futile. Do you realize that's the reason this place that we live in is so violent? Because even though the conscience is fractured, it still works enough to bring somewhat of a conviction about things. And the world wants to pacify you and affirm you in wicked things. But yet your conscience rebels and there's turmoil within you and it lashes out in anger as the world, as corruption and conscience try to exist together. Look how far we've come in abortion. How in the world did we begin to fathom or even question that any part of that at any point would be okay? When you go back to Genesis 2 and you think about the design of God, God created a man and a woman. And then the marriage was given. And I showed that to the kids in Genesis 2 as well. I showed that to the kids this week. Marriage between a man and a woman was given. 
And then you have the consummation of that marriage and you have the fruit of that marriage in the life of children. And it's nothing but blessing and joy and peace and righteousness. And the moment that you move outside of that context is the moment all forms of sexual immorality appear. And the world constantly tries to promote those immoralities. They try to legalize those immoralities. They do everything to settle your mind and tell you that it's okay. But your conscience knows different. And so between that conscience and that corruption, there's violence that takes place. And it tears the world apart because we refuse to submit to the truth of God. There's... There's the bad. But let me bring you to the good. Because in the love of God and in the mercy of God and in the grace of God, he sent his son to die as a propitiation for all that corruption. When you think about the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, you need to understand that that's a declaration of freedom. That's not just good news. It's declaring us that we've been set free back to a freedom that we can enjoy to the fullest measure. Let me go through some of these things that we've been set free from, beginning with sin. When you think about the corruption within us and the sinful actions that have taken place in all of our lives, and then to hear through the gospel that there is complete and absolute forgiveness of sin. That is an absolute declaration of freedom from guilt and shame. We are free from the penalty of sin. We are being set free from the power of sin. And we have a future hope of being set free from the very presence of sin. The gospel declares our freedom in regard to sin. And in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. But we are absolutely free to enjoy righteousness. When you think about death, Paul asked the question in 1 Corinthians 15, right? In Christ, death, where'd your sting go? Where's your pain, death? Because in Christ, you've been set free even from the sting of death. Death has lost its power over us. Now we're free to live in Christ. Now we're free to look forward to everlasting life in Christ. We've absolutely been set free from death. Death is simply the means through which we obtain everlasting life. I thought of it this way when I was making my notes. Death is nothing more than the driver that takes us home. That's all death is to us now. Because its power has been stripped and we are now free to enjoy life. In regard to Satan, we've been set free. The prince of this world no longer holds us captive to corruption. We are free to distinguish between the power of Satan and the power of God. We are able to distinguish between the lies of Satan and the truth of God. We are free now to hear and heed the word of God and to actually please God. When you think about the law, we've been set free. We are free from the condemnation that the law has brought against us. You have to understand, before Christ... You have violated the law of God and it is a just thing for the Lord to put you to death. 
But because of Christ, you've been set free from the condemnation. You're free from the guilt that the law places on your life. And not just that, we're free from keeping the demands of the ceremonial law. Many of you have been reading the Bible chronologically and you just walked through Leviticus. And I talked to Michael the other day. He's been listening in his, his truck as he drives around in the dump truck. He's been listening to Leviticus to get, get through that part of the, the, the reading. And he's like, man, there's so much to do. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot. there was a lot to do. All the sacrifices that had to be brought, all the preparations that had to be made, all the feasts that had to be observed, all the special days, all the special seasons, all these things you had to remember, all of that was a part of a system in order to glorify God and obey God, right? You've been set free from all that. Christ has fulfilled all of that. There are no more sacrifices to bring, no more preparations to make. There's only things to remember. There's not things to do for Christ has done them all on our behalf. Therefore, in regard to the law, we're absolutely free. We're absolutely free to serve God in all things. And in regard to God, we're free. We're free from God's judgment. We're free from God's condemnation. We're free from God's wrath. Because of the gospel, we're free from eternal damnation. We've been set free to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength. We're free to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Before, you could not. Now you're absolutely free to do so. All of this is from the gospel. A few more things. In regard to your fellow man, you're free to forgive. Like Rob challenged us this morning, come to the table. You're free to forgive without any sort of debt owed without any sort of consequence that needs to be paid, without strings attached, you're absolutely free to forgive your brother wholeheartedly. You can forgive like you have been forgiven. You're free to love. You're free to love like you've been loved. Nothing needs to be given in return. You don't have to perform some function in order for me to love you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to present yourself as lovable. No, now I'm free to just love you exactly the way that I have been loved. Before the gospel, that's not possible. But now through the gospel, that's absolutely probable. It just depends on you. Because you're free to forgive and you're absolutely free to love. Now our minds are delivered. Our minds have been set free. I can turn away from those selfish hungers, desires, and lusts. I am free to reject what the world teaches me. And I am free to wholeheartedly trust in the Word of God, to allow the Word of God to instruct me and to be my singular source of wisdom. I am free for the Word of God to be my sole rule of life and faith. Free. I am free to allow the Word of God to change and shape every thought that I have. I am free to walk in the will of God. I have been set free for my life to glorify God and for me to walk in His will. Our conscience has been set free. I'd love to take you to Hebrews right now and just settle down for about two hours. That load that you carry in Christ, you don't have to carry that. 
those animal sacrifices, you still carried the load of the conscience. But we need to understand and celebrate the freedom that we have in our conscience now. Because when we trusted in Christ, our conscience was cleared. And those things that come to mind that we've committed in the past, we can rejoice in the blood of Christ. They can be reminders of the joy and the freedom that we have in Jesus. No longer do they need to crumble our souls. No longer do we need to bear some load that we cannot carry because of the wickedness we've done. No, when Christ set us free, we are free indeed. All the way down to our conscience, we are free. And when those things come to mind, we can drop on our knees and lift our hands in worship and in praise because Christ indeed has set us free. My conscience testifies to His blood and His truth and His actions on my behalf. I no longer have to consider my own. That debt has been thoroughly paid and my conscience has been thoroughly freed. And let me pause there to tell you, all of that is found in Christ. Every bit of that is found in the good gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know why you want to walk around in bondage. You don't have to. There's no cause for the chains that you wear. The prison door has been broken. And you are free to run in the fields of God and enjoy them. Why hang about the prison when you don't have to? Why wear the chains when grace is offered to you through the gospel? You can enjoy freedom that you've never known before. You can rest in it. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can have righteousness. You can have a conscience that is clear when you turn your life to Christ. So that moves us from Genesis 2 and 3 through the gospel. Now let me turn... Now to Romans 14 and 15 and show you how this works for us. And I want to slow down here because there was purpose in laying that background so that you can understand what is truly liberties and what is not. So now that we've been delivered, now that we've been set free from sin, from death, from condemnation, now that we've been set free to run in the fields of the Lord and be absolutely filled with joy and peace, how do we take minds, now that we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, how do we take minds that are fully informed by the truth of God, and how do we take a conscious that works perfectly, that rightly convicts against sin and affirms righteous behavior, how do we take those two things and weighed through all the opportunities that we have in this life. You need to know, first of all, that you're fully equipped for these things. You're able to wade into circumstances, situations, and opportunities with your mind being filled with wisdom and your conscience working perfectly and decide out, in. No, yes. Participate fully. Absolutely deny. 
You've been set free and you've been given the faculties for these things. We just need to learn how to walk in these things. So let's spend the next few minutes that we have talking about liberties and talking about convictions and talking about the one thing to which we are still bound. And I'll be finished this morning. First, let's talk about liberties. Because the first thought that just popped into your mind is probably wrong. Because you probably thought, oh, what can I do? But that's not biblical liberties. You need to understand liberties are first and foremost the things that we have been set free from. Liberties is everything that I've been describing for you that you received in the gospel. Liberty means you've been set free from sin. Liberty means you've been set free from death. Liberty means you've been set free from the condemnation of God. When you think about liberties, think about what you've been delivered from first and foremost. You've been liberated. You've been emancipated. You've been unchained and unshackled. That's your greatest liberty. But now that builds into even higher. You've been set not only from things, set free from things, but you've been set free for things. You've been set free for joy. You've been set free for peace. You've been set free for righteousness. Notice how Paul concludes this, sec this section. Look at Romans 15 verse 13. Look at his final prayer. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we just took verse 13 and tried to think to ourselves, are there people in the Bible that we know that were absolutely filled with joy and peace in believing? Where would you go? Genesis chapter 2. That's exactly where I would go. If I knew two people in the Bible that were absolutely filled with joy and peace, living in the wisdom of God, and their conscience absolutely clear, unaffected, unmarred, righteousness, running free. Right? Genesis 2. And Paul's like, this is my prayer for you. And you're like, how can I do that? Oh, you have that in Christ, you see. You just hadn't fully realized these things yet. This is where Paul wants us to be. He wants our conscience to be clear. He wants us to walk about in integrity and uprightness. He wants us to lie in our beds at night with a smile spread across our face because of the joy of the Lord. He wants us to fall asleep so quickly and easily because we're absolutely filled with peace and we have no loads to bear. There's no emotional baggage. There's no strained conscience. There's no shame. There's no guilt. And Paul's like, that's, that's, where you're, that's where you've been made to live. So when we talk about liberties that you have in Christ, know this first. Oh, I've been set free from all these terrible things, but I've been set free for all these wonderful things. All these are mine in Christ. But listen to this. This is where you make the mistake. 
You've never been set free to sin. You've never been set free to sin. Beloved, that's not freedom. That's putting the chains back around your wrists and your ankles. That's visiting the prison that you were delivered out of. Liberties is not what can I get away with. You remember when we went to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. If you're taking notes, just jot that down and go back and visit that. But you don't have to turn there. This is what Paul says. What shall we say then after the gospel of Romans 5? Are we to continue in sin so that the grace of God might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's, that's not joy. That's not peace. That's not righteousness. That is not freedom. Paul says in Galatians 5, You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. That's the lie that we fell for to begin with. We thought freedom was where I get to do what I please according to my desires, my lust, my flesh. That's not freedom, that's bondage. Don't go back. Adam and Eve knew freedom. And, and we'll know it well one day. But they had no concept of shame and guilt. Absolutely none. And it was sin. It was them according, acting according to their own fleshly lusts and desires. It was that which bound them. So why in the world would we ever consider that Christ set us free to bind ourselves? That's foolishness. Hear me well, your lust and your desires and the expression of those things is not freedom. It's shame. It's guilt. It's emotional trauma. It's baggage. And it's bondage. But what you have in Christ is deliverance. Is the freedom that you long for. We ask the wrong questions. Again, what is wrong with what I want to do here? That's not the question. Y'all, that's the question of teenagers. How far can I go on this day? That's the question of immature minds. The question of maturity is, how much freedom and joy and peace can I run in as I glorify God in this relationship? That's the mature mind. Why would we ask the question, how close to the prison cell can I stand and not smell that aroma of death? Why would you want to stand there when the fields of freedom are open for you to run in why would you not want to enjoy that? When we talk about liberties, you better get a biblical definition of liberties. What you really want is to lie in your bed at night with confidence and righteousness and integrity and peace and joy and love. And you have all that in Christ. When we come to the convictions, notice Romans chapter 14 
Turn with me there and notice verse 22. Because there are things that we have to choose to set aside. Notice what Paul says here. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Meaning there are going to be some things that convicts our conscience that we need to choose by faith not to participate in. It's interesting how this life in Christ requires a very close walk with God. And that's where I had you last week. It's prayerful. It's critical thinking. It's depending on the Lord and it's studying in order to wade between the liberties and the convictions. And to be honest, we draw lines in different places. And that's why you have Romans 14 and 15, because you need to know how to live when we've drawn lines in different places. Let me give you a few examples, because some of you asked me some questions about things, and I'll just touch on them broadly. What do we do with entertainment? What can you watch? What can you not watch? Where do you set the limits on that? What about music? What's okay to listen to? And what's okay to not? How do we choose? Let me walk through this as you should walk through this, informed by Scripture. And I just picked out three things, but I think they're the three most prominent things. There are three things that are heavily promoted by the world and absolutely condemned by God. The first of those is sexual immorality. How is it that we can watch a program on television or sing a song that promotes sexual immorality of any form? Do you think it's a liberty to sing songs that promote and glorify immorality? Brothers and sisters, that's not free. That's bondage. What about the second thing that I jotted down was violence. Can you think of a song or can you think especially of a movie in our day that doesn't glorify violence? Now I put this one in here for way of personal confession. One of our favorite shows, I just made Paige watch season after season after season until I got convicted about the violence. The guy you were supposed to love was the most violent person on the whole show. And as I was considering that and my conscience was under conviction, I was reminded of Psalms chapter 11, verse 5, which says this, The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, meaning He tests us all. And the one who loves violence, God's soul hates. I lost interest in the show. How could I be a part of something and intently watch something and enjoy something that God's soul hates? Now you have to respond to your conscience. And you want to poke your chest out and go, well, I'm absolutely free to watch that. And indeed you are. And that may be where you draw that line. But I'll argue with you that your conscience is not clear. 
I would argue with you that I don't think you're quite as free as you think you are. What about in the last category that I jotted down, witchcraft, sorcery, magic? I can take you to a number of places where God says, I hate that. I detest that. Have you noticed television these days? Can you find a show that doesn't have some form of that that's presented in a good way? It's very difficult. So if I just pull out three categories and say, let's just examine our lives to see if we're participating in things that promote sexual immorality, violence or sorcery or witchcraft or those sort of things. I think we might free up a lot of time in our life. You know, most of us, absolutely, I would, I would guess, most of us love 80s music. It just sounds so good. Y'all, I've been to foreign countries and walked into a restaurant and they would be playing Van Halen. 80s, they didn't understand the words. But you know, there's a reason that the music sounds good. There's a reason that the melody hits because they want the words in your mouth. When you go back to the garden, there was a reason that the apple was enticing. There was a reason that Satan said what he said because he wanted the apple in her mouth. How in the world can we sing songs that glorify sexual immorality like the 80s did and be okay with that? You're like, well, it's just fun and we're free. You are. You can draw the line there if you like. But you need to understand what's been put in your mouth. Because that was the whole purpose of how good it sounds. And how cool it looked. You're like, man, you're messing me up. I'm going to have to examine everything that my kids are listening to. and why. Yeah. Yeah, because liberty is joy and peace and righteousness. Don't dare put a burden on their hearts. Protect them. And you're like, oh, you're, well, we're drawing lines, right? We're drawing lines. And we have to be very careful because we have to understand where liberty lies. And liberty lies in Christ. Liberty is not joy picking and choosing based on His desires and tastes. Liberty is found when joy has submitted himself to Christ. So that's what Romans 14 and 15 is about. It's about how in the world do we live in that conflict? Because this one's absolutely comfortable listening to this. And this one over here is absolutely convicted by this. And they've chosen not to do this. So how are these two going to dwell? Is this one going to look over here and go, Oh, these fundamentalists are driving me crazy sitting on the left side of the church. Or is this one I'm going to look over here and go, oh, these unholy, immature Christians are about to kill me. The Lord's like, don't, don't do that. You're in different places and you've drawn different lines. And God is at work. I could take you to two passages in 14 where he's like, don't destroy the work of God, which is one of the most comforting things in 14. God is at work in the one that's listening and God is at work in the one that refuses to listen. And so he says, you're bound. You're free to draw those lines, but look where you're bound. Look at, at chapter 14, verse 17. Let me give you just a couple of things that you're bound to and we'll be done. 
Romans 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and proved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Run to Romans 15. Look at verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that with one accord you may glorify with one voice the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, therefore, accept one another. Meaning the liberties and convictions I was talking about, there's some freedom to draw some lines. Oh, I can encourage you all day to draw those lines. If you ask me personally or privately, I'll help you draw them. I'll take you to particular passages because I wrestle with those things. I let the mind be filled with the wisdom of God. And by the grace of God, I let my conscience that's fully informed. I don't live by my conscience. It, it derives from wisdom that comes from the book. I let the wisdom of God fill my mind. I let my conscience work properly, convicting or affirming. And that's how I drive. And I, I struggle. Because I'll get it in the ditch on conviction and I'll beat my truck half to death trying to stay in the ditch because I think I found freedom and I beat the suspension off my truck. And then by the grace of God, I get it back up on the road and realize my conscience was always at work. I was just refusing to listen. But when we come into the context of the body, we're bound by one thing, and that's to lovingly accept one another who are in Christ. And as a church, we have to get that right. Let me go back to the gospel as we close. If you don't know Christ, I remember, it's awful. The inner turmoil that goes on is exhausting. You think you're free by going about your own way. You, you think you're free by lis listening to your own wisdom in your own way. But everyone who is in here this morning who's in Christ would freely confess that is not freedom. Freedom is when you turn from yourself, from you turn from your wisdom and turn from your own sin and you run to Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is the joy that you're looking for. It is the peace and contentment that causes you to lie in your bed at night with a thankful heart, with tears of joy rolling down your face, rather than sorrow and conviction for what you've done. Let's pray.